0: Hello mummers and welcome to season two episode 13 of Bump to Mum. I'm your host Emma and this week I am bringing you a conversation with Srinika. Srinika is a registered paediatric nurse with her masters in nursing and she offers a first aid course for parents and now called Little Beat First Aid. I think it can be one of those things that is so scary as a parent to think of everything that could go wrong. Um, you start looking around at everything and it does make you just a little bit scared for general life but I think one thing we can all do is educate ourselves so should something happen, we at least know the basics to keep our little ones safe while we wait for help or even just to make some preventative measures around our home when we're out and about so that we're you know doing our best to avoid all of these things as well Shanika and I chat through everything from preventative to first aid, what we need to know to managing coughs and colds at home, when we need to go get medical help, when we can manage these things at home, what we can do for teething, PAMOL versus brufin. We really cover a lot. Um, it's a huge topic, obviously, so we're not going into anything too deep too deep, but it does give you a good overview. Um, And I think for me as well, it just shows the importance of getting some first aid training if you haven't, um, or if you have and you feel like you need a refresher, it's just one of those things that you will never, ever regret spending time on. Srinika splits her time between delivering the Little Beat first aid course as well as working in Starship Hospital in the pediatric ward, so she really has seen a lot in her time in terms of what can happen to little ones um so a big motivation for her for delivering this first aid course to parents is again that preventative you know things that we can do to re- reduce our, the risk of um you know burns falls slips um poison all these sorts of nasty things which we hate to think will ever happen but at least if they did By getting your first aid training or learning about these things, you'll know what to do while you wait for help. Even though Srinika is a medical professional as a nurse and delivering a first aid course, I always suggest that if you have questions or needing advice that you reach out um, to get your own medical um, help or advice. Um, Obviously, this is very general in nature for the purpose of the podcast. I really hope you'll enjoy this episode, find it educational, um, find that it might provide you with some, you know, help and knowledge or it might make you think, okay, now I really need to book in to do a first aid course. Now you can book in with Shanika, she offers an in-person and online option and I will tag her her, um, website in the show notes so that you can check that out a little beat first aid but also it's not the only option out there you know you can do one through st john's there's plenty of other courses out there so um shanika does offer a great service so if you want to check that out she is more than happy to chat online on instagram or through her website A big thank you to Shanika for coming on and sharing her knowledge and expertise with us. Um, I really hope that all you parents out there will enjoy this episode. So let's get into it and enjoy. Hey Shanika, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I would love for you to tell everyone listening a bit about yourself and your family and your business Little Beat First Aid, which is going to be, I guess, what's shaping our conversation today.
1: Hi, Ma, Thanks for having me. Um, So, yeah, I run Little Beat First Aid um, and basically uh, it's a business sort of teaching uh, infant and child first aid specifically for parents and families uh, and in a more sort of relaxed and formal setting rather than going and doing a full full day first aid course. So just giving you that, that sort of basic knowledge that you need to deal with emergency Uh, in situations at home with your little ones. Uh, My background is in paediatric nursing, so I've worked at Starship Children's for just over 12 years, um, had a little bit of a break while my two were little, uh, my two boys, and that's when I started teaching these sessions. Uh, So obviously didn't really have much of a break, but um, yeah, that's when I sort of started teaching. And then... There was a, It was actually run by a couple of ladies who first started the business and they uh, ended up having other commitments and other businesses that they wanted to focus on more and had, yeah, I guess sort of didn't really have a lot of time to do this anymore and I talked for them for about a year and a half and then they were going to sort of – shut up and I was going to move on to, back to nursing and, and they were like, well, if you're, if you leave, then it'll be the end of Little Beat. So do you want to take over the business instead? And mm. so that's when I took it over um, and, yeah, continued with that. Um, and I am back at the hospital now as well. Uh, work a couple of days a week there and the rest of the time I'm doing this as well as having my two boys eight and ten year olds at home Mm. um and juggling around you know school after school etc um yeah Um, wow (laughs) you're
0: busy 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 woman (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were gonna say I don't work at the hospital anymore
1: but no still doing that as well yeah yes I returned um about a year and a half ago now um because I missed it. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's quite nice having um, the mix of the two and still being in the healthcare field, knowing what all the you know new things, current things and everything is going on. Um, so keeps keeps me up to date.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, I can imagine that you know that doing the first aid course is gives you kind of fills one side of your cup but then it's also nice to actually work in that hospital setting where you're kind of getting to be a bit more hands-on and continuing to learn and um not just teach but I guess you you'd learn you'd learn while you're doing the course as well and keeping up to date um yeah what is it that I guess inspired you to start you know, what What made you want to start teaching parents about first aid? Was there something that kind of really sparked an interest in this or was it through your work in the hospital?
1: Uh, yeah, probably uh, the work in the hospital uh, has, you know, seeing things that are, uh, I guess, like preventable injuries and things where you feel like, um, you know, it would be helpful uh, if there was a little bit more knowledge and awareness about certain things. Um, and yeah, I, I really just enjoy teaching in general. Um, it was, it was kind of when I was younger, it was either I wanted to be a teacher or a nurse. And so this kind of gives me both. Um, Mm. so yeah, uh, a little bit of my passion for teaching, I guess, as well as passion for, um, Helping, pay, pay, helping parents be more aware um, and confident in dealing with these kind of things.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, this is probably going to be a really basic question, but I think it's a good starting point for us, is why is first aid so important and why should we, as parents, invest time in learning about it? You know, if we've got no medical background, what, 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 why should we invest the time to start learning?
1: So, I think one of the really important things to remember is that when we're doing first aid, like for example CPR, uh, we are basically giving the chance of a best outcome uh, because there's obviously medical professionals, paramedics will arrive, but what you do before they arrive is really important in terms of uh, how well. The outcome is going to be and how well they are going to be able to help your child as well um, because in for example in a cpr situation uh, you're basically trying to keep circulation going while help is arriving um, and if we aren't doing that then that gra- greatly reduces their chances of survival um, same with like a choking situation uh, we want to do things uh, to help them before that help arrives because help can take a little bit of a while to come. Mm. And um, we don't want to be just kind of sitting there waiting for that help to arrive because that's not going to help the situation. Um, So really is about giving them that best chance uh, and a better outcome for them. Um, And a lot of also what we teach uh, is prevention as well and reducing risks because we want to, uh, be avoiding getting to a hospital in the first place. I don't want to see you there um mm. I want you to you know be able to deal with a situation that means that you don't end up being in the hospital um but also knowing when it is vital that you need to get that urgent care as well.
0: Mm. That's probably a like. It's, it's such a good way to put it, you know, like it's you're not all of a sudden going to become this medical professional, but you're able to to make a difference in the time while those professionals arrive or while you get to the hospital. And um, I think that's that's what we can do as parents for our kids as well. So maybe before we go into like what we should learn in first aid, what about we start with like the prevention. So what should we be Doing around the home, what are some things that you, I guess, you see coming in your work? Which are those ones that are preventable just by having a bit of knowledge about them?
1: Um, so I guess uh, in terms of preventable injuries, uh, we want to look at things like um, like burns, um, knowing sort of. know, the risks around the home. Like we go through this during our sessions in terms of one of the most common types of burns that we see in young children, uh, hot liquid burns, scalding burns. Um, So being aware of those risks around the home, keeping things out of reach, moving things away, knowing that their skin is more sensitive than ours. So something that's just a little bit hot to touch for us uh, can actually be quite scalding for them. Um, Mm. So yeah, just being aware of, how sensitive um they are in that respect, and um knowing what kind of common accidents do happen, so those like burn injuries with the hot water, hot spills, hot cups of tea, coffee, all those kind of things um and same with other injuries around the home uh we're watching out for things like uh furniture um that's unsecured falling on them. Um, you know, when climbing up on things, falling from those kind of things. Um, also looking at uh, other risks around like windows and furnishings, um, you know, making sure that you've got secure windows, things that they can't fall out of, um, mm. making sure that the furnishings are safe, that they're not going to get tangled up in those blinds, cords, those kind of things as well. Um So, yeah, there are obviously a lot of different injuries that can happen around the home. And uh, one of the things that's something that I always say to parents is that uh, we want to try and um, prevent those by making sure we're looking out for those things before they actually end up moving around, um, Mm. because they're not going to one day wake up and say, I'm going to start crawling today, or I'm going to start walking today, or I'm going to start climbing today. So um, having that foresight of, you know, these things are things that they may be able to get into is important. And even just crawling around on the floor yourself to see what's in their vision um, Mm. is important. Uh, and making sure that we're keeping hazardous substances and things out of the way as well, um, in terms of cleaning products, medications, all of those kind of things.
0: Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because my son Louis has started crawling, and he seems to find everything that you know, everything he wants to keep going back to are the things that I'm kind of trying to to move out of the way or you know yeah. he doesn't seem to go after the things like his toys on the floor he's after oh there's a plug in the wall and I want to go play with that like they seem to almost seek out things that are slightly more dangerous and I don't know why that <laughs> is <laughs> so I'm learning at the moment that I yeah I think I need to get on the floor with him and see what his eye line sees because every time I put him down he seems to be after something else plants seem to be another one as well that obviously they love trees and stuff and then they've got all of a sudden they've noticed there's this tree indoors and they want to go grab the leaves and play with the dirt so that's yeah and then some plants can actually be poisonous so there's just so much to think about um yeah it's 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 a new one and he's not even walking yet so i really need to get my a into g on that one i can
1: (laughs) Yes, they yeah. do They do like to seek out things um, that are a bit more exciting than their toys. <laughs> mm. Yeah. so why do we even buy toys? They just want to play yes. with their dog in the house, right? <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> so that's the – I guess if we're looking at prevention, it's kind of, yeah, getting down to their levels, seeing what they can see and what's in reach and trying to, I guess, minimise risk there. In your course, what would be, I guess, the basics that you – the the kind of first aid basics that you would cover
1: off? So we run through um, CPR, infant and child, because there's a little bit of difference between under one versus over one, Um, what to do if they're choking and talk a little bit about prevention and hazards around that as well Uh, and cover common incidents and accidents like burns, head injuries, uh, fevers, febrile seizures, allergies and anaphylaxis and uh, recognizing respiratory distress situations Mm. and also poisonings and ingestions of things around the home. Um, Mm. Yeah. There's a lot to cover, isn't there?
0: I actually recently did a first aid course and it was quite – you know, I knew I wasn't a pro, but it was quite astonishing yeah. to me in terms of what I thought I knew was actually also wrong. So, you know, like <laughs> – and then you kind of sit there and you're like, oh, that's not what my natural instinct was. Some of it was, but there was also, you know, a lot of stuff with even, like, doing CPR, I guess. I would I had an understanding of what to do, but I'd never actually practiced it. So is that something yeah. you would get people to do dr- through your courses is actually do the CPR?
1: Yeah, yeah. So the in person, because I do online ones as well, which yeah. obviously you then don't get a chance to do the practical bit. Um, yeah. But for some people, that's what works for them. And it's either that or, you know, nothing at all. So definitely yeah. um, something is better than nothing. But um, yeah, and the in person ones, uh, there's practice of the CPR and the choking relief techniques on the infant and child mannequins as well mm. so that gives you an idea of how hard you actually need to be pressing for cpr um and with you know the positioning head positioning your body positioning all of that kind of thing as well
0: yeah um it's just i cpr is when i think that comes up quite a lot but is there something that from your experience in the paediatric ward do you see is it like choking is that something that's maybe more common or what is like I guess the more common sorts of things that you see kids coming in for
1: um so in terms of choking it is something that can more easily happen in that younger age group um especially the under five age group uh but we you know, we don't tend to obviously see all the choking incidents mm. in the hospital because most of the time it is resolved outside. Um, and so the ones, the only ones that we tend to see in hospital are like if there's things that have been left behind uh, in the lungs or um, in the airways or, you know, situations that haven't turned out um, that great. Uh, so, yeah, obviously we have quite a skewed um view of Mm. what there is out there but um it definitely is something that uh can quite easily happen and does um more commonly happen uh but once again it's one of those things where um you know knowing what to do in that situation greatly Mm. helps that outcome um, and avoids Mm. you being in hospital um with uh, injuries or, like, other injuries, a lot of uh, other accidents that kind of happen are um, related to falls, um, head injuries, uh, those kind of things. Um, and as they get a little bit older, um, you know, fractures and things like that, especially um, wrist fractures, arm fractures, all those kind of things, um, which tend to be more once they're out uh, in the playground, um, more so. Uh, but, uh, in the younger ones, yeah, it tends to be more, um, accidents from falling and things like that around the home. Um, Mm, and then there's, um, yeah, definitely burns is a big one. Um, and because I am at Starship we don't see, um, a lot of the burns because, uh, the burns unit, uh, that burn specialist sort of centre is a middlemore. Um, So it's, I mean, I'm glad that I don't need to see a lot of those Mm -hmm. um, burns, um, but they are definitely a common accident um, that happens, unfortunately, with kids. Uh, And the other one that we need to be quite wary about, um, especially in New Zealand, are drowning situations, Mm. Um, and not just from like the sea or pools, but things around the home, like bathtubs and other... Um, you know areas of water basically yeah
0: so i know this is a big one that i you know being a first time mum and going through the process of starting solids is quite a scary thing to do because one you're worried about choking if you're doing kind of more finger food um sort of baby lead weaning and then the second thing is with the allergens is you know like what sort of are they going to react to when you're introducing this allergen? So what would be your advice to parents here? Because I think it's something that a lot of, you know, parents feel quite nervous and apprehensive about.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's something that um, we do talk about quite a bit uh, during the session because obviously we do talk about choking and we talk about allergies as well. And Mm. um, it it is definitely, you know, a common concern for parents. Um with the introducing of foods, there's often a bit of hesitation in moving on from puree's um and those kind of things. Um and, you know, some people want to do like baby lead weaning but are too scared to. Mm. Some people are unsure whether that's it's actually a safe thing to do or not. Mm. Um, you know, it is it has been around for a while um, but it is definitely uh, a little bit more um, common nowadays than previously mm. uh, and so there is that hesitation and um, there are a lot of different like there are a lot of good resources around and things like that but I mean the most important thing um, was doing those kind of things um, if you're even if you're doing puree plus baby leg weaning um, and making sure that you're doing those things in a safe way is definitely going to reduce risks of choking, um, which is what a lot of people are worried about. Um, there doesn't seem to have been an increase in incidences of choking since you know, baby-led weaning has become more and more popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of like research, there was a um, a study done in New Zealand uh, a while ago, which sort of compared the two, like baby-led weaning versus traditional weaning. Uh, as well and um, whether there was increases in choking instances and things like that um, which found that there weren't any differences in either of the groups Mm. Um, but in both of those groups they were taught how to do those things safely so making sure that the baby lead weaning group obviously were taught how to actually do baby lead weaning safely you know, the right textures, right shapes, right, all of those kind of things. Um, And uh, knowing they were also taught how to recognize between gagging versus choking and also taught how to respond in those situations and taught the first aid for choking and all of those kind of things as well. Um, So I think whichever way you do it, as long as, you know, you've you're doing it the way that is the safest, Um, then you do what works best for you. If it's going to cause you too much anxiety, then don't do it that way. Um, because if you're stressed then they'll get stressed and it's not going to help anyone. Um, but yeah, having the knowledge about all of those things is definitely, um, going to help you feel a little bit more confident, um, before you jump into those. Um, and the same with introducing allergens, um, Knowing what to look out for, it is it is quite rare for an anaphylactic reaction to occur on the first exposure. Okay. Um, obviously, it's not like I can't say that never ha- that it never happens. There's no there's never a black and white in anything, um, but it is it is quite rare for that first instance to cause an anaphylactic reaction. Um, and it is important that we are introducing allergens. Um, rather than holding off until later. Um, their early introduction has been found to reduce their likelihood of developing allergies. Um, that's what you know the research has shown, and so it is recommended to introduce all those top allergen foods before the age of 12 months. Um, and the other thing that's important is repeat exposure. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, repeat exposure has also been found to reduce um the development of allergies um, so making sure that you know if you've given it once and they didn't react don't kind of think okay I don't need to do that one again do keep exposing them to those things again mm. and again
0: yeah okay and so what would be I guess an allergic reaction versus maybe a bit more of an intolerance like what would be the clear difference for that?
1: so if it's, if it's like an allergic reaction, um, you're likely to more sort of see like hives or rash or that kind of thing um, popping up. If it was an, like anaphylactic reaction, then you're also likely to see um, sort of airway um, issues like swelling of the tongue, lips, swelling of the airways. Um, that kind of presents as like a hoarseness of the voice or wheeze or quick assistant co- Uh, quick persistent cough developing, those things show that that airway is narrowing. So obviously in that kind of a situation, you want to go call 111, get an ambulance on the way. Um, Milder reactions, you still want to get them checked out. Um, Like if they do come up in a rash or something like that. Mm -hmm. Intolerances tend to um, present as more uh, like GI issues, um, like... uh, diarrhea vomiting you know those kind of things mm. or, or constipation depending on kind of what you know what what their reaction is um so yeah that's it tends to be a little bit different um in that presentation Mm. Yeah, it's
0: just one of those ones, isn't it? I remember when I was doing all the allergens with Louis, I was just, like, staring at him after looking at him, trying to see if something was (laughs) happening, Um, and it's just, and I mean, he ended up being allergic to nothing, so all that worry for nothing, but, you know, they they can happen, so it's, um, I also got a little bit conflicted with some people saying, oh, you know, one exposure was enough, and then, some advice was like no three separate exposures before you can say like look we're good with that food but then Mm. you've got to keep it in their diet so um good to understand that yeah it is that repeat exposure and probably just doing one at a time so you can actually pinpoint which it was wasn't it so it's not like oh
1: yeah (laughs) Um, yes definitely don't just um put a platter with everything on there um to go for gold at once (laughs) Yeah. um but and also just making sure that when you're introducing it, you do um have time to observe them, so avoid doing it too close to a nap time or a sleep time um and you know doing it earlier in the day rather than later in the day um yeah, so you've got that uh time to be able to uh, observe them mm.
0: One topic which I know is a big one, but we really want to cover because it's just such a, I guess, for every parent, we're going to come into contact with winter bugs, viruses, colds, fevers, everything. We're in the kind of thick of it at the moment. Um, What I would, I would, there's so many questions under this sort of topic, but I guess to start is with with your winter coughs and colds and fevers, how do we manage these at home? And at what point should we be saying, "Okay, we need to go to the doctor or you look, you're really unwell and need to go down to kind of like e d what what did we what what is your advice for you know managing them at home, and then when we need to actually say, no, we need some help now
1: um so yeah, there's a, a, most of those kind of things coughs, colds, fevers, things like that are manageable at home. You know, most of them are caused by viruses and um, just like we would, you know, for ourselves, um, we can most of the time uh, deal with those things at home and it's really just like comfort cares and keeping them comfortable and, you know, keeping their fluids up and all those kind of things. Um, But with um, younger babies, we are a bit more cautious. Um, They have less of an ability to... Uh, fight infections and to regulate their temperature and things like that as well um, so when it comes to a fever uh, with babies under 3 months even a mild fever you should get them checked out 3 to 6 uh, three to six months any high fevers like 39 and above you should get them checked out um, it doesn't mean that it's always going to be something serious but we just err on the side of caution with that age group But over six months, uh, we're sort of really um, trying to look at the whole picture and watching out for red flags because, as I said, you know, most of these things are manageable at home and we're just sort of managing the symptoms um, for them. Uh, With um, the sort of, I guess, red flags that you want to be watching out for that let us know that they're actually quite unwell and do need some urgent medical attention Uh, things like if they're really lethargic if they're really sleepy really difficult to wake up uh, if they are working harder or faster with their breathing uh, if they are not drinking their usual and you're not getting their normal amount of like wet nappies that's an important sign of dehydration for them and if they're looking quite sort of pale or mottled unlike their usual uh, color, um, and also if they've got a rash with a fever, those kind of things can can indicate that um, they are quite unwell, and it is best to get them more urgently checked out in those kind of situations rather than just going to your GP. Um, mm. So, yeah, so yeah, those kind of yeah red flags are sort of more what we want to look out for, um, and. Uh, as I said, obviously for the younger ones, they're under six month group, um, definitely uh, with those fevers, you still want to get them checked out urgently.
0: Yeah. And when we're managing these, you know, managing kind of their coughs and colds at home, um, a question that came up when I did a question box is around kind of Pamol versus ibuprofen. So when should we use, Canol? When should we use ibuprofen? Can we use them both together? what What's the process with those?
1: So they can definitely be used um, both together. They don't. Um, they don't act like. They don't have the same uh, point of where they're acting in terms of like um, the actual um, mechanism of action. Um, but uh, it really sort of. Um, for, for some children, it, de- uh, it depends on sort of how unwell they are. Like if um, one is enough, then that's fine. If you're finding by the, um, like that it's it's not sort of lasting enough and they're still quite, you know, like they're not feeling well or they're miserable, grisly, grumpy, they're feeling quite sort of hot still um, and you're worried, then you can always do the other as well some people alternate between the two um which is fine as well um the the main thing that we want to make sure is that we are not uh sort of causing any errors in when we're giving it because they you uh, you're, you're going to be giving different amounts for both of them mm-hmm. you're going to giving be giving uh, them at different times as well in terms of how far apart you can give them Um, and the amount of doses in a 24 hour period is different as well so Mm. as long as you are basically recording when you're giving what you're giving and how much you're giving um, then we avoid that sort of you know doubling up or errors happening Um, because that's obviously um, not going to be good for them Um, Mm. but yeah I mean in terms of what you give um, both of them are fine for pain and for fever as well Um, Mm. yeah
0: that's interesting and another question came up which I've actually never tried before so I'd love to know your thoughts on this Um, does adding pamol to milk impact its effectiveness and is that a suitable way to give your child pamol? I've always just used a syringe and squirted it in Louie's mouth so I'd love to know what you think about this.
1: So um, as far as I'm aware it doesn't make a difference to its effectiveness but um, the only issue with adding whether it's pamol or any other medication um, to milk is that um, we want to make sure that they actually get the whole dose. Mm. So if you are putting it in their milk and then they don't drink all of it, um, then you risk them not getting what they should, an effective dose. Um, And then obviously you don't know how much they had and can't kind of of top it up either. Um, And also – it can change the fat flavor of the milk as well. And uh, we don't want them to get put off their milk, um, especially when they're unwell. Uh, so that can be an issue. Um, and there are certain medications that aren't, aren't allowed to be mixed with milk. So it is important if you are, like if it's something else, like antibiotics or whatever, um, that you're checking with your pharmacist before adding anything adding any medications to anything else really mm.
0: yeah that's a that's an interesting one and it's so true like you say like what if they don't drink it all you have no idea how much of the actual pamol or brufen or whatever it is they've actually ingested so yeah yeah when we're looking at again you know this isn't first aid this question but it's another one of those you know in the home managing kids comfort when they're not feeling well is teething Um, that sometimes it's hard to know you know are they grizzly because they're teething or are they grizzly because they're unwell what are I guess some clear differences between a baby that's actually unwell and a baby that's probably just got some teeth moving around or coming through baby or child
1: um so generally with teething um you know you might notice things that are different in terms of their behavior like if they're like chewing on things or gnawing on things a little bit more those kind of things can kind of indicate a little bit more whether um, you know there it's actually that sort of teething pain or not Um, and you know you can obviously give uh, you can give medication for that or whatever um, other teething remedies you use Um, and generally that should you know, help them feel a little bit better. Um, If those kind of things aren't working um, and if, you know, it's going on for a few days and it's not getting any better, then uh, it's probably something that you want to be getting checked out with your doctor. Um, Some children can get a bit warm with teething Mm. um, and that can tend to be more sort of like an inflammation kind of reaction but um they shouldn't really be getting a getting fevers from the teething um Mm. and so if they are it is a good idea to get them checked out as well um because potentially you know it is actually an illness and we don't want to kind of be like oh no it's just just their teething um Mm. and you know sort of prolong that uh and the other thing that they can sometimes do with teething um is sort of like if they're like tugging on their ears or pulling on their ears and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um because you can get it obviously a bit of pain um that sort of radiates along that sort of jawline and things like that. Um but that can also indicate that they may have like an ear infection or something as well. Mm-hmm. So um if you I, you know, if you're noticing those kind of things that aren't they don't seem to be getting better. Then it is better to err on the side of caution and get them checked out, rather than sort of putting everything down to that teething. Um, but yeah. obviously, as as your child gets older and goes through more teething episodes and things like that, you will have a better idea of, you know, I, you know, that's what they're always like when they're teething, versus this is something different. Yeah,
0: no, that's a that's a good one because I actually got caught out on this. Only a couple of weeks ago, Louie woke up and was really grisly. And I was like, oh, you know, probably some tea. Mm-hmm. Day went by and he was still quite grisly. And I was like, oh, that seems to be quite long for his teething. Like, you know, he's not usually yeah. a grisly kid. And then another day and my mum there's also a nurse and she's like no he needs to go to the doctor now like that's not quite right he was still quite warm and he ended up having a bit of a virus that he'd picked up as well so it was one of those oh, times where I was like shouldn't just put it down to teething like something else was actually afoot um luckily he was okay and it was one of those things that just worked his way out of a system but yeah, yeah. wasn't teething <laughs> yeah. maybe there was some teething as well but that wasn't the root cause
1: yeah it's very hard um in those situations, yeah. it's very hard to navigate. I know. It's just like I wish I could talk to you and ask you what's wrong. It's the
0: same with animals, right? You just actually can't say, like, what hurts, what feels unwell. You kind of have to just take their little cues and figure it, figure out and be really in tune with their behaviour.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, um, I mean, that comes, you know, a lot of that comes down to, um, and it it may not seem like that in the early days because everything's new, but as you get to know your child, you do get to know your child and know what their normal is and, you know, what their normal behaviours are and all those kind of things. So, um, you know, often we do kind of think and know to ourselves that "Mm, this isn't quite their normal or this isn't quite right Um, Mm -hmm. and it's important to kind of trust that and go with it um, in those situations.
0: On that topic then, it's one that I think is, you know, I want to learn about it more as well as how we advocate for our kids in a, you know, emergency department, hospital setting, when we maybe feel like we're not being heard or, you know, the doctor's saying, no, they're fine, but your inner, you know, mother, father is telling you something's just not quite right.
1: Yeah. Um Yeah. if you were in a like a, a like you've, you've been to the doctor um, mm-hmm. and you know they've sent you home um, if you still don't feel like things are quite right, um, don't hesitate to go back um, and if you don't want to go back to the same person, then go back to someone else um, and see someone else um, definitely don't uh, kind of just sit at home worrying Um, and if you're like in the the emergency department if you don't feel comfortable to go home then you have every right to tell them that um, they don't feel comfortable to go home um, because yeah i mean parental concern is something <clears throat> that we uh we do uh take quite seriously um because as i said you know you know your child um and if you think things aren't quite right then don't hesitate to um push to be seen um or taken more seriously if you need to um yes. and you yeah, knowing that you can do that is important as well um we there's also um in in hospitals um around the around the country um there's like an escalation kind of process that you can go through as well um and uh it's like you've like there's kind of like three steps to it where you know you call you call for a nurse and then um you know tell them your concerns and then if you feel like that hasn't been dealt with then you can then call to talk to either the charge nurse or get a a doctor review um and then if you feel like that isn't um you know that hasn't helped your concerns either then there's um uh, what we call like a, a, I just can't remember off the head now. Um, what's it called? Um, oh, my? It's like a um, yeah, basically an escalation process where there's a number that you call, um, an O eight hundred number, which then like a team of people come in to review, um, your okay. child or the patient. Um, there should be posters around um the hospital which tell you the process for your particular hospital in Mm. terms of what number you need to call and things like that. Um, But, yeah, that is a way to kind of go above um, Mm. if you feel like, yeah, your concerns aren't being um, seen to. Uh, And that is is not just for children, it's for anyone. Um, So if you've got, like, a loved one in, in the hospital and... Um, you feel the same about that you it's the same thing as well Mm. Um, or even if you're a patient um, in the hospital um, you can use that as well Um, but yeah it basically because um, you know it was like it was found that you know people struggle to voice their concerns and obviously there Mm. have been situations where um, you know the the patient or a parent or whatever, um, their concerns weren't uh, seen to and Mm. there's been a bad outcome from that. Um, So, yeah, it's basically trying to mitigate those kind of situations where something could have actually been done if someone had been listened to.
0: Yeah because it's like we put all our trust in medical professionals right but then if and they're telling you something but if there's something in your gut just saying that that's not it doesn't feel right it's nice to know that there is another avenue to take in terms of you know getting a second opinion getting you know some more advice Um, because yeah I know I always just take (laughs) medical advices like that's it that's That's their advice, and they know more than me, so I'll just do that. But if you've got that kind of gut feeling that something's just, that doesn't make sense, then you want to know what you can do, right?
1: Yeah, and, um, you know, definitely, um, I mean, obviously health professionals do their best, but sometimes things can be missed or, you know, situations make it in a way that they... um, didn't quite see it the way you saw it Mm. or whatever. And so having another set of eyes um, and ears is a helpful way to see that.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, that's some really good advice. In your experience um, as a mother, medical professional, what are your kind of top tips for keeping our kids safe? Like what are some things that you really practice in your home so that you are, I guess, preventing what you can? And that could be, you know, from slips and falls for coughs, colds, viruses. What does it kind of look like in your home?
1: Um, I think I, I probably, um, in terms of safety around the home uh watching out for like the major things is where I'm at. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't say I have, you know, all every single safety thing that I could have um, in the home, uh, but things that are ones that would be really important, um, especially when my kids were a bit younger, obviously they're older now. Um, so there's less of, a risk for a lot of those things um but um when they're younger especially uh things like keeping things secure um is really important um you know as i said earlier kind of like keeping um furniture secured to the um walls uh making sure that we're keeping uh drink like the like hot drinks and hot things um, out of reach, moving things back on tables and benches and those kind of things. are Important having window latches on um, the windows uh, as well uh, to avoid falls out of there. And um, in terms of the home, having uh, like pl- like those little um, like socket protectors on the plugs and things like that as well, and avoiding having like free wires and things around as much Mm. as possible um, or keeping those kind of things out of reach. Um, Important to make sure your TVs are also secured um, on your, if you've got an entertainment unit or things like that, they very easily can tip over. Mm. Um, And uh, obviously if you've got fireplaces, those kind of things, making sure that you've got guards around those uh, and if you've got stairs, making sure you've got stair, um, like gates and things like that as well. Mm. Um, yeah, with things in the home, and like, in terms of like the kitchen, um, mm. I tended to – just make sure that all the lower drawers had stuff in there that, you know, weren't a big hazard um, because as like, you know, child safety locks on things are great, but they're not foolproof. Um, mm. And children learn to open those things as well. Oh so, um, <laughs> don't rely too much on those kind of things. If you've got things that are quite hazardous, hazardous and quite dangerous, it's best to just be up high and out of reach. Mm. rather than um yeah relying on those like safety mechanisms on things um yeah so especially like you know things like our medications and our cleaning products chemicals um those kind of things um definitely up higher is much better than having a safety lock on a cupboard type thing
0: What about like first aid essentials as well? Like what should we have in our homes so that if there is an incident, you know, is it just getting a general first aid kit? Is that kind of going to cover your main bases or is there some other things that you would recommend?
1: Um, I'm pretty minimalist when it comes to uh, first aid essentials around the home, Mm -hmm. especially because, um, yeah, you really don't need a lot. Um, It, really just, uh, like, if you've got a basic first aid kit, then you've probably got everything you need in there. And if you've got some gauze, you've got some bandages, you've got some plasters, um, they usually have, like, those kind of thicker padding type things, which is helpful to um, put pressure on, like, larger bleeds or things like that. Um, And uh, most of those have, like, a burn dressing in them as well um and yeah like those kind of things are real basic otherwise you know you've got things around your home you've got water you've got soap if you need to clean things um those you know you don't really need to get very technical and things having um like a thousand plasters is great because though you'll <laughs> go through for those um but uh yeah other than that um, That sort of basic thing is really all you need. If you're going out on a hike somewhere in the middle of the bush or something, um, then you obviously need a more extensive first aid kit. Um, But generally around the home, um, you're not going to need a lot of complex things. And you don't want a whole bunch of things that you don't really know what you're doing with either. This is very true. Like I quite often open the first aid kit and I'm like, hmm.
0: I'm just gonna grab that plaster and like you know, get some tape. <laughs> um, it's a bit like, yeah, unless you really know what you're doing, you just need to have the basics, don't you?
1: Yeah, you need something that will help to stop, you know, to cover some bleeding or cover a wound, um, and you know, something that you can use to clean with in terms of some gauze or whatever. Um, but yeah, um, you're not going to be dealing with a really complex first aid scenario in your home um mm. and if it's if it's very very complex you're calling for help
0: yeah yeah that's a that's a very good one to point out as if it's yeah if it is serious you need to be on the phone calling yeah not trying to figure it out yourself at home is that actually that's a one something we should just cover off before we kind of wrap up is at what point you know we've kind of talked about it with the fevers and coughs and colds but do you have kind of like a general rule around like if it's a broken bone like do you go to the hospital or do you go to the doctor or if it's you know difficulties breathing is that an ambulance like do you have some general rules around that or advice
1: yeah so um in terms of like uh when you should really call an ambulance mm. um we're looking at things like if they're unresponsive If they're not breathing, um, if they're starting to go blue, grey, those kind of things, or if they're having difficulties with their breathing, like really struggling with their breathing, um, and that we can kind of, um, you know, looking at them, uh, if you're noticing uh, they're sort of working quite hard or breathing quite fast. Um, you know those kind of situations. It is best to call an ambulance, um, rather than trying to take them in. Um, mm-hmm. Also, if they're having, um, you know, seizures uh, and um, any uncontrolled bleeding. Um, so, like, if you know, if if they're bleeding and you put some pressure on it um and you know it doesn't seem to be slowing down or it's increasing uh especially after sort of like 10 minutes then um you'd want to call an ambulance for that kind of a situation uh any like large burns uh or burns in sensitive skin areas um like genital face neck kind of areas um and also uh with like broken bones and things like that. Um, Large bone breakages like thighs. um, We want to call an ambulance in those kind of situations because it's just really close to like major blood vessels. Um, And uh, also call an ambulance for situations where you're not going to be able to safely transport them. Um, So if – you can't put them into a car seat and strap them in and take them, um, then call an ambulance in that situation rather than trying to unsafely take them somewhere. Um, And also uh, if you are um, in a situation where you're unsure, um, you feel like you need an ambulance, then call an ambulance. Um, Yeah, because, you know, they're able to, also tell you if, like, it's something that um, maybe isn't as life-threatening, and maybe they've got some other stuff going on that it's going to take ages to get to you. Um, then they may suggest that you know you take them yourself as well, um, if they think that it's, that's an okay thing. Um, but yeah, have you know, especially for infants and smaller children, have a low threshold for calling an ambulance if you mm. if you think if you think you need one. Then
0: cool. Mm. Yeah. It's I guess tuning into that to you into your gut and just, you know, if it feels wrong, doesn't yeah. feel right, I should say, is get some help. Um there's just I I appreciate that there's so much we could talk about in That's right. <laughs> the realm of first aid and there's so many questions, but I feel like we've kind of given everyone a bit of a, I guess, a know how on you know, why we need to learn about these sorts of things, how we can prevent things in our home, what are some basics we can do for managing coughs and colds. But if anyone's listening to this episode and they're thinking, okay, I need to get some practical training, I need to learn a bit more, how would they go about um, getting in touch with you? And because you mentioned you do it in person and online. So would you mind telling us a little bit about um, booking in with you to get some Doing your first aid course, and
1: um, so the best way would be to um, jump onto the website Um, um There's uh, information on all the different options. Um, if, if, in terms of the in person options, um, I teach. Uh, private in-home sessions in Auckland um, and then also public um, sessions in Auckland as well, which are um, run in conjunction with sort of other organisations like Plunkett, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's those options. Um, and in terms of the online, there are um, like a, a a few different options so there's like public uh zoom uh sessions as well which I run through parent center um which are generally on an evening and um then there's a private online session um which is via zoom which is just you know like a um one-to-one or you know one to two or um kind of situation and uh That um, is is the same as the in-home private ones, except for the fact that obviously you don't have a mannequin with you. um, But uh, I usually get uh, the parents or um, family to have like a a toy or a soft toy or something with them so that we can actually at least go through the motions and the positioning and all those kind of things Mm -hmm. with them. Um, And then there's an online... Uh, video option as well um, which is uh, basically a sort of a one hour um, video going through um, the CPR and choking and a few other things in there um, and that also includes a follow up call with me if you have any questions afterwards um, so yeah and all of those um, options also uh, you get um a sort of um a pdf booklet afterwards which has all the topics in there as well um but yeah you know a lot of different things to suit kind of different needs uh for people um but yeah definitely worth doing even you know obviously um CPR is something that's actually worth doing for, for anyone. It um, doesn't need to be for your own child. You know, you could use it for anyone, anywhere, at any time. So it's definitely an important skill to kind of know in general. Um, yeah. And, you know, if if you can't learn with me, that's fine. You know, learn with someone else. Um, but definitely uh, helpful to have this knowledge um, however you get It's mm. going to be helpful.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's such an important thing to do, and just like you say, it's, yeah, it's great to be able to kind of, and if the situation ever arose with your own child, like to be able to help, but just more generally as well, like if there's you know walking past something on the street or at a park or anything, it's um, it's not, I don't think it's a skill you'll ever regret learning or investing time in. So I'm super grateful for you coming on the podcast and sharing all your expertise and knowledge because I know it's just, even just getting a bit of a kind of overview and taster is so helpful to so many of us who don't necessarily have a medical background and, you know, we're looking after sick kids for, you know, the first time it can be quite uh, an experience so just wanted to say a big thank you again for coming on and sharing and i'll be sure to tag your website and instagram account in the show notes so that people can reach out if they would like to book in a session or ask any questions or just follow along um on your social media because i know that you share a lot of um do a bit of q a and share some tips there so yeah thank you so much Renika.
1: No worries. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great having a chat with you Um, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully it's helped some parents. Um, And uh, if anyone does have any questions, I'm always happy for people to send in any general questions um, to either of my social media pages as well. Um, That's absolutely fine.
0: Oh, lovely. Thank you so much.
1: No worries.